You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Why revisit a series? Why revisit Fireflies again? Because we talked about this at the beginning of the year. We asked the question, what if we could be a church, a, a church of fireflies, though that, those that show their warmth and the glow of their faith in the world around them? Uh, why revisit this series again when we've already been through it and said, what if we were a church that had three characteristics, that we were gospel speaking, that we were neighbor loving, and that we were world witnessing? Uh, why go back there? And part of the reason is uh, we're seeing harvest we're seeing harvest. We, we are seeing moments and things happening throughout the church. In the last six months, God has done stuff in this church that we could only dream of when preaching that series. That was just a theory, and God put it into practice. Uh, before I went away on leave, we baptized three young women, all of whom heard the gospel for the first time in this church and went through the waters of baptism. We've had nine decisions for Christ in the first half of this year alone. We have had uh, six people at the first Christianity Explained session. We've got another 12 that hung out at the last one that we ran just before on holidays and and hopefully another bunch this afternoon. Uh, It's harvest time, church. And I don't want to say it in a way that sounds like we're boasting, we're prideful. We're not that. We're just excited. I'm excited at least. I hope you're excited because when I talk to people about it, they're seeing all of these things happening and they're inviting friends along to church and friends are believing or friends are hanging out more and more and they're sort of going, it's happening. It's happening. So the first reason why we're looking at this series is we need this. a lot of people come away asking, well, how do we get more of this? That comes back to the message, remember, that John North, one of our guests at the beginning of the year, uh, has preached a powerful message to us and he said uh, so many of us want to see the reaping of harvest but so often we don't know how to sow so people are saying they're seeing they're seeing the reaping of a harvest they're saying i want more of that I, I want my friends to come in here and i want my friends and my family and my co-workers to be part of Northside, but i don't know how to sow so this series is about how do we sow uh, the other reason that we're looking at this series and continuing this series is this, and it's off the back of the last series, Trending, we did, which we looked at some pretty big topics. And it came off a question that uh, a Northsider had, at the, one of the question and answers that we had, and, and he said, Sam, look, I, I get this, I believe this, I agree with you 100%, amen. But he said, what do I do when I go back and I have to share this with my co-workers? What do I do? What do I do when I'm sitting next to people who think so radically different from how I do? Now, is it just me or is 10 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, some of you remember that better than I do, um, you, you could go to work or to your family and say that you went to church on Sunday and the result would be, look, at worst, maybe people were a bit bemused. Uh, maybe they were slightly sarcastic. But is it just me? But today when you go and do that and you share that you've been to church with someone, uh, more, people are more likely that they're going to start asking you antagonistic questions. They're going to start hammering into you about your faith. Has that happened to you yet? The question that the Northsider was asking was this then. And it's the basis, the big idea of this whole series. And that is this. How do people stay true to who they are and still get along? 
regardless of all of our differences. Now, there's one of three different ways you can go. The, the first way that you can go is you can be the sort of Christian that we've been warning against being, and that is those who are obnoxious and offensive. You can be quite direct and in people's face with stuff. Uh, but then there's the other way that you can go about it, and that is that you can hide. You can hide your faith when you go into these different circumstances. You hide. Why? Because I think, I assume for most Christians, because I feel it too, it's because we know intuitively that if we reveal our faith, whether it be work or family or friends, if we reveal our faith in various settings, there'll be big criticism now. Which um, is ironic in a society today that's saying that everyone should be allowed to share what they want to share and believe what they want to believe, but just not Christians. I don't want to sound too, too sarcastic in that, but it's quite ironic. The Christians are hiding because we know that we will come up against criticism. Nevertheless, this series is about exploring a third option. And that is, how can I learn to live my faith with integrity, which means I'm the same in church as outside of church. How can I live with integrity, but with a warmth and a civility and a genuineness? How do I do that? Now, if you're hearing that, this is really good for Christians and both non-Christians. If you're a non-Christian here with us this morning, I hope you stay with us. Maybe you'll get, catch a glimpse of Christianity in a way that is open and warm and genuine. Maybe you'll be surprised. Maybe a seed will be sown. Uh, but it, also, if you're a Christian, the question for us is this. What if? What if it was every single one of us, just once in every week of a four-week series, sowed a spiritual seed into someone's life. What sort of harvest could we begin to reap in this place? What sort of things could start happening? And so the question is, how do we live as fireflies? That is, how do we become someone who's always got a warm glow of the faith that is within us? And the first thing we see from this passage is, you won't be a firefly unless you sow spiritual seeds constantly. And here's where we'll go this morning. Uh, why sow in the first place? What does spiritual sowing look like? And how do we do it in a way that's not offensive uh, to others? Why sow? Why sow in the first place? Let, let me give you the context here. This is the end of the story of the famous woman at the well. We've heard that story before, right? Uh, Jesus had met with a Samaritan woman. He had been quite cheeky in his interaction with her. They're talking at the well. Uh, he, he knows and she knows they shouldn't have been talking together. He says, go away, talk to your husband about it. And she says, I can't quite do that. And he says, I know, you've got multiple husbands and the guy that you're with is not your husband at the moment. She understands now she's talking to some prophetic type. He's powerful, he's a spiritual teacher. And they have this encounter and he engages her in a warm and loving way and she correspondingly goes out and shares this news with all the town. But here's the point, the encounter with this woman at the well is the modern day equivalent of this. Get this, it would be the modern day equivalent of an evangelical Texan sitting with a transgender prostitute from the red light district of Iran. <laughs> Have I painted the picture clear enough? <laughs> Are we getting the shock factor of what is happening? This is just not an encounter with the woman at the well. Uh, something's happening. And so Jesus comes with his boys back from, from the IGA, all stocked up with the groceries, and they, they just about drop the groceries all over the floor because they, they see what, what, she's, what she's, he's doing, talking to this woman. And then they're so flabbergasted. I love the way the, the humility is that in the passage of, uh, of the gospel writer John. 
uh, the, the way that it says they, they come back and they see him with the woman. But we weren't thinking anything about it, it says. Jesus was, we didn't think, why are you talking with a woman? I think that's uh, quite hilarious. And then they, they come back and they, they get distracted and they start talking to him and, and saying, do you want some food? Do you want something to eat? Do you want something to eat? And Jesus uses an incredible metaphor. He says, I don't need that sort of food because I'm already eating my food. My food is the work and the will of the Father. And here's, here's what he was getting at. The, the boys come back, and they come back with the groceries. They're stocked up, ready to go. What they're thinking in their minds is, Jesus, why are you wasting your time with this prostitute from the town when we should be doing work, we should be doing stuff, we should be getting into ministry? And Jesus says, this is my work. Look, boys, look at what I'm doing. I'm taking you on an excursion to see what I am about. What is that? He's saying, I'm in the business of spiritual sowing and reaping. What is that? A spiritual sowing is pointing people to the realities of God, to Jesus. And reaping is seeing them believe. And so Jesus says, fundamentally, this is what the Christian life is about. Jesus is saying, this is everything that my followers should be doing. And so what that means is, not hiding your faith, going public with your faith is not an option. It's not a level of Christianity that you graduate to. It's, Jesus is saying, this is meat. This is not dessert. This is not a Sunday. This is not entree. This is food. In other words, Jesus says, this is something that all, every single one of my followers should be doing. All the time. Jesus is saying at every moment, every intersection, every, every engagement that you have with someone, you should be looking with these spiritual eyes to see for an opportunity to sow some spiritual seed. Reality check. Is that how you and I live the Christian life? I don't, I, my, my best friend... It normally goes like this for us, doesn't it? My, my best friend was a non-Christian. I prayed for him for years. And I prayed, Lord, I hope that he would, he would see your light and, and you would do something in his life. And, and years later, he did become a Christian. And a few years after he'd become a Christian, we're sitting as boys do in the spa, <laughs> hanging out, <laughs> having a bit of a spa. And he's reflecting the way that Jesus had changed his life. And there's just new life and light and perspective on his life. And then he said something that I'll never forget. He said this. He said, Sam, for years you were the only Christian in my life. How come you never told me about Jesus? Do we, uh, do we constantly sow spiritual seed? You see, for some of us here, most of us here, you're the only Christian in someone's life situation. You're the only one that will help them see that there is a new reality out there. Are we doing this? Are we sharing our faith in this way? Now, look, I'm conscious that some listening to this, this is great up against you. Uh, some of you listening, you'd say, look, this is the objection I have because, you know, Christianity's fine. I don't mind Christianity. It's got some good values. It's got some good thoughts in it. It's got some good things in it. Uh, but why do you have to share your faith? Everything about Christianity is fine except for this. You guys are always trying to convert people. Why do you have to do that? Well, look, that's like saying, I really like ice cream, just not the frozen bit. <laughs> you see, you can have that, but whatever you got, it sort of resembles ice cream, but it's not ice cream. It's, it's a 
some of the substances are ice cream, but it's not it. Christianity operates the same way. Christianity has and always will be a sharing faith. And here's why. That anyone who has truth, good truth, good newses or evangelizes, as we call it in the Bible. Anyone who has truth, not just Christian, good newses. You see, what is news? News is the, it's the sharing of information to those who may not be aware of it. That's what news is. If you share something you already know, it's not news. already knew that. Um, good news, on the other hand, is even more than that. It's information that people are not aware of, but if they did have it, and when they are made aware of it, it brings them joy. Yes, I will marry you. Yes, the cancer is in remission. That's good news. That's good news. Now, I want you to consider this. Anyone who has truth of any kind will do good newsing because evangelism is just good newsing. That's what evangelion, the underlying word, means, to good news. So let me show you. Look, it's not that difficult. You good news all the time. I saw someone the other day. They, they were good newsing. They were thrilled because Big W had 20% off nappies. Right, that's, been, that's been worthy of putting it on Facebook and throwing it out there. and That's great news. Like lots of people, they're glad that that's been shared. Uh, some of you, good news, you've got to get this app. It's changed my life. Some of you, you want a good news about have you eaten at la blah blah I mean, the eggs are to die for. They're just scrumptious. Some of you like to, have you checked out this investment? It's, incre- it's, it's on the up. It's going... <laughs> Anyone who has a truth, something that people are unaware of, want a good news. You want to share. So sharing is really a lot easier than we think. What is that? You're evangelizing. Now, more seriously, um, doctors evangelize all the time. In an, another example, like imagine a team of researchers spend years researching this habit of people back in the 50s and 60s called smoking. And they realise that, that going through this process called smoking gives you lung cancer. And they say, after years of research, stop doing that. We've, we've found a new way to live, and it's a healthier way to live. And in light of this information, we need to make you aware that you shouldn't keep doing this. Come into this new reality. What do they do? They publish it in journals. Stop doing this, and by moving into this new life, you can have a more powerful reality. You'll be healthier. Now, question. Is that narrow-minded... Is, is that being superior? Is, is that offensive? You see, any, anyone who has a, a, a truth that they reveal and thinks that can bring power and joy and wonder into someone's life, benefit into someone's life, thank good news. Why is it that we live in a society today where when Christians want to do exactly the same thing, it's obnoxious and offensive? Why do we Christians get caught up and hard Because, friends, some of us are hiding. Some of us, I'll put myself in this category, are more willing to share about restaurants and apps and technology than we are our own faith. It's easy to share in here for me. I'm I'm talking about a dynamic outside of the church. We hide. We don't share. And I I look, I, I hope that... That we got into Christianity not only because it's exciting, and yes it is, I hope that we got into Christianity because it's relevant, and yeah, but it's not only that. I hope that we got into Christianity because it's transforming, although it's more than that. But I hope most of all we got into Christianity because it's true. And the point is that if there is any truth to Christianity, then we have to be sowing 
spiritual seed. We'll want to sow spiritual seed. Does that make sense? So, I don't know, have we overcomplicated spiritual sowing and evangelism? I think so. I think, I think we've thought that it's up to us so much that we overcomplicate it. I think some of the worldview for most Christians, and I want to pick up on this in a second, but we think like this, well, who am I to tell people to convert to my religion? Now, their views are their views, and it, that we can work it out. It's up to God, but who am I to do that? And I want to show you a little bit later on that that's actually, it sounds humble, but that's not a very humble way to think about sharing your faith. But the other thing is we think, I don't have the skills. I don't know what to say. The whole point of this morning is simply to start off this series and to show as a firefly, it's a lot easier than you think. It's a lot easier than you think. And that's what leads us now to see, well, what is spiritual sowing? You see, we can look at the life of Jesus and think that uh, he can bring people to faith because he's got some special Jedi mind trick that he can do as the son of God and draw people into him like a magnet. Here's the question in this passage. Who did the most sowing? Who did the most converting in this passage? Was it Jesus? Mm -mm. It was the woman. Verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's story. Because of the woman's testimony. You see, what we see here is that she is the one who did most of the spiritual sowing with, with the people here. It was a woman at the well. Verse 28, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back into the town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And as a result, hundreds of people in the town believe in Jesus. Now, what do we learn from this practically? We'll get through this real quick. Practically, there is two key aspects to spiritual sowing. What is it? It's a... It's a familiar transparency is the way that I describe it. Two aspects of the one thing. A familiar transparency. First thing is it's familiar. Verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, she went back into the town. Here's the first thing. She went to people she knew. This wasn't, you know, that soapbox evangelism. She didn't go find a milk crate. She didn't go to a street, street corner somewhere. And Although I'm not denying that sort of evangelism can be effective, but she doesn't do that. And I think that's the sort of evangelism that freaks the daylights out of anyone in church. But she, does, she doesn't do that. She goes to the people that she knows. She doesn't ride into the sunset. She doesn't travel down to Jerusalem. She just went to the people that she knew. Pause for a second. Maybe you can start making a mental list. Who do you know? Whose world are you in? Who have you got contact with? Which best friends in your life might come back in a spa at some point in time and say, why did you not tell me about Jesus? That you, you, God has placed you in a context for a reason. The second thing is, it's familiar transparency. Verse 29, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Come see a man who saw into the heart of me. She's sharing her innermost thoughts. She's not practicing the four spiritual laws or two ways to live or a learnt form of evangelistic methods. She's just sharing who she, who she was. And there's a simple openness to the innermost part of her life. What that means for us is to be a firefly, to sow spiritual seed means simply not to hide who you are in every situation. Some are saying, oh, what could that look like practically? I've talked about it before. The first one is don't sneeze, church. 
We keep saying that. Someone, someone will say to you Monday if you go to work or if you're in a mum's group or you're with family or friends, what did you get up to on the weekend? And you'll say it was a cracker of a day on Saturday and it was horrible on Sunday, so I needed to be indoors, so I went to church. <coughs> and then you get through the rest of the... Don't sneeze, church. The most powerful and effective ways... Northsiders have seen this since Fireflies Part 1. One of the most effective ways for us to sow spiritual seeds is just to be real about where we've been on the weekend. In an even better way, here are examples. One of our young adult girls, she went and took all the leftover brownies from the dinner on the Sunday night. And the next day, she took all the brownies into her team at CVA. And she brought them all in and everyone's loving eating all these brownies. Oh, where did all these come from? They were from Carmen. Carmen, where'd you get these from? Her answer... They were part of dinner at church. And off that, she has had three, four, five different conversations with her team about spiritual things. See how easy it is? A transparency, just sharing your innermost life. Another one is maybe you just ask other people about their belief systems and their spiritual practices. Sit there and listen to them empathetically. Here's another powerful one. How often have you ever shared a a difficult moment in your life with a co-worker or a family member or a friend? How, long have, how often have you been uncharacteristically open with the challenges of your life and the way that your faith in Jesus Christ is helping you to process that? That can be so powerful in a world in which people just don't want to let their guard down. Maybe uh, you could just share your spiritual narrative and a brief overview of your experience. Like the lady, he told me everything I did. Here's all of my junk. Here's all of my stuff. And yet this man was special. A familiar transparency. Do you reckon you could do that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I, think, I think it's easier than we think. And the stories that we're seeing, church, coming through is so much more powerful than we tend to realize because the profound thing that we're seeing in this passage is that it's sowing and reaping, but it's not like normal farming where you sow and six months later you reap the harvest. Often the sowing and the reaping can happen almost instantaneously. So much is the power of the gospel that if you sow this seed, it will grow up and you can reap this harvest straight away. How is it that someone in a matter of months can come here asking questions about Christianity and then within three months make a decision for Christ, another couple of months be baptized and then be bringing their friends back again to check it all out again? That's the power of the gospel in this, this growing up of this seed that you sow into people's lives. It happens at the same time and so it's a lot easier than we often think. So I guess the final question then is, Okay, if, we are, if we're called to sow because we want a good news and truth, we, good news about technology, uh, and then if it's easier than we think, if just the first step for us in this series is going to be have a familiar transparency, just be open with who we are in every aspect of life, how do we do it in a way that is genuine and warm and real? Remember I said before that I think there's a statement that we Christians, we, we use... As an excuse, we, we say, look, you know, who am I to share my faith with others? Who am I to be like that? I just need to keep it to myself. It sounds humble, but it's actually not because think about it for a second. Uh, what are you really saying about sharing your faith underneath all of that? I think what we're saying when we have that attitude is that to share your faith is to be superior to someone else. 
And we don't want to feel superior to other people, so we don't want to share our faith. But that is absolutely against the grain of what Jesus models for us here in terms of spiritual sowing and why we sow spiritually. You see, as the boys come back and see this incredible scene, and the way that we put it, this Texan evangelical hanging out with a transgender prostitute from the red light district of Iran, it was as absolutely shocking this story as that would be in the modern day sense. Jewish men were not, to, first of all, supposed to talk to women in public. Second of all, Jews were not supposed to talk to Samaritans. They were their religious and cultural enemies. And third of all, this woman was the town prostitute. She was the loosest woman in the town. She was the one who was everywhere with all the guys. So it's, it's everything. Jesus knew this. Jesus knew the sex bias, the ethnic bias, the religious bias, the moral bias. He, knews, he knows all of that sort of stuff. And what do we see him doing? We see him being friendly. What we see here is sharing your faith is about radical spiritual friendship. It's about being friends with the world. It's about not withdrawing from the people who are different from you. Jesus doesn't. We need to be so careful with this. Here's what it means. You, what it means is you don't befriend someone in order to convert them. You try to convert them in order to be friends with them. Let me say it a different way. You don't love people in order to share your faith with them. Rather, you share your faith and yourself with them in order to love them. Love is not the means. Love is the end of all of this process. And when we're like that, what happens is we stop using people as evangelistic projects. Suddenly, people are no longer a little case study for us to notch up in terms of, yes, I've done my job as a Christian because the end goal is I'm hoping that this person who is so different from me in so many different ways could one day become one of my best friends. Love is the ends, not the means. Oh, look, my situation with my mate Damo in the spa. How come you never told me about Jesus? You know, when I look on, back on that, what got me the most in all of that was what he was really saying to me what he's really saying to me was sam if you were truly my friend if you were truly my bestie then why for so many years did you hold, withhold something from me that would bring me joy and wonder and power in my life why'd you hold it back friends don't hold good things back from each other and so can you see how that would give us a totally new motivation for why we share our faith the world is not an evangelistic project. When we see people who are radically different from us, and like Jesus, we want them to become our friends, then we share our faith because we don't want to hold this good news back from them. We don't want to keep this from them. And what it shows us too in the radical different nature of this lady that Jesus was talking with and the power by which she almost single-handedly converts a whole town, what it shows us too as Christians is there are no lost causes. How many of you have a son or a daughter or a good friend or a mother or a father or a co-worker that your heart burns for? Not because you want them to just agree with what you agree with, but because you want them to experience the wonder of Jesus Christ. And how many of us, maybe at time like myself in my best friend, almost resolve that it feels like it's a bit too hard? When we do that, we have underestimated the truth of Christianity and we've underestimated the power of the gospel. 
and we've stopped sowing. When we see Jesus in this moment, we come back to the question that we asked, that Northsider asked me at the end of the last series. How can we be true to ourselves and get along? How do I get alongside people who are radically different from me? The first step is you look to be their friend. You look to be their spiritual friend. And only until we adopt a gospelized approach to engaging in others, we won't hide on one hand, but on the other side, we won't treat people like evangelism projects. Because the gospel is this, I say it all the time, you are more broken, you're in more trouble than you dared imagine. But you are more loved than you dared believe. And when we take that gospel framework into all of these interactions, can you see what it does? Here's what happens. First of all, the effects of the gospel give us an energy to want to go and share. We have this wonder and we have this joy and so we want to share, not because we have to, because we want to. The second thing that it does for us when we have that framework is if we are more broken and in more trouble than we dare imagine, if, if our faith and our salvation has been received and not earned, then we go to people who are radically different from us in belief and lifestyle and we actually go with eyes that say, you know what, there's probably more compassion and goodness in this person than there is in me. And when you go in with that, how the heck can you feel superior to a person like that? I'm a sinner saved by grace. I've been humbled by the gospel. I'm more broken than I dared imagine, more loved than I dared believe. And that opens up a warmth and a genuineness in us. Now, the last one is if, if we are more loved than we dared believe, then there is an approval that is way beyond uh, the various links in the ladder, as I call them in society, the people that are above us and below us and beside us. Those are familiar to us, but we're afraid of knowing. The bosses, the mums and dads, the family members the friends, all of those that often scare us because we're worried about how they're going to react. If we have the approval of Almighty God, then it should give us an immunity towards their disapproval if it does happen. Only until we've understood the gospel will we love people when we share our faith. Let me close with this. What if? What if, church? What... What if every single one of us just sowed one seed in each little interaction that we have this week? There's 300 and something of us on a Sunday. There's 500 and something of us here that call Northside home. 500 that are stretched from Maruba right up to the top of the northern beaches. 500 of us that are stretched from Crow's Nest out to Parramatta and Quakers Hill. We have Northsiders dotted all over the city. What if there was just one interaction that we had each and every week? What would, that happen? What would happen in this place? What if we started sowing spiritually like Jesus and this woman? We would see more of this sort of stuff happen. Because the Bible says constantly there is an excitement, there is a, a reality to see people come into that life-transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. I just want more of it. And I don't know about you, but like I, I, I see in a, a generation, particularly some of the older generation, you know, I know, how, it can, I know it can, how you can think with stuff. Sonny Jim, come on. I was like that when I was 35 as well. But just get a little bit more life under you and you'd see what happens. You know, life's tough and I don't know, there was a, uh, my folks' generation I look at as well, the 50-year-olds, the 60-year-olds, the baby boomers, uh, the, the civil rights movement in the United States. There was so much stuff happening back then. So many, so many people who in the 60s and 70s genuinely thought that we could transform the world. They were listening to the great apostles of Peter and Paul and Mary. 
He said, if I had a hammer, I'd hammer in the morning, I'd hammer in the evening, all over this land, I'd hammer out danger, I'd hammer out a warning, I'd hammer out love between my brothers and sisters all over this land. Where is that generation? You're such a role model to all of us. It's not Gen X and Gen Y that are supposed to be the idealistic ones in Jesus Christ. Christians, if anything, are the only ones left who should have the ideal that what those, those three sang about should still be happening today. There should be the overflow of love and injustice in this city. Uh, love and justice in this city. Jesus Christ says, I live for this work. I live for seeing families transformed. I live for seeing cities transformed. I live for seeing cultures transformed. I live for seeing countries transformed. Christians should be the only ones in the, left in the world today that think like this. Because we're not idealistic about it. We know. We know that it's not only possible, that it's inevitable. Are we awake to that, church? Do we want to see that? We are, we're starting to see glimpses of that. I, 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 after prayerfully, after years of ministry, want to pray that this is not just idealism, but it's the reality of the Christian life across all generations. Christian, are you sowing spiritual seed? Uh, have you believed in the true power of the truth and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ when you sow that into people's lives and you live with a familiar transparency? Do you want to see more of that? Non-Christian, if you feel like you're on the outside this morning looking in, can I just sow a seed with you? What if it's true? What if it's true? Let's pray.